quickly and just uh, lay out a couple up so you can take notes if you want to. So, yep, there we go. Didn't want anyone to be like, oh, lights, boom, there we go. Uh, well, hey, a couple of things. One, if you're new with us, I wanted to, first of all, say welcome. It is great to have you. And we would love to connect with you and ultimately help you be more connected in your relationship with Jesus. And so if you are new, I'd love for you to take a moment and fill out our digital connect card. We've got a QR code on the screen. Um, and we also have them in the seat backs in front of you as well. Um, so welcome. It is great to worship together with you. The second thing, next Sunday, we have the Walk at the Hill, which is a student ministry event. So if you're in middle school or high school, or you have middle schoolers and high schoolers, I want to encourage you to get them to the Walk at the Hill. All right, there's going to be a time of worship and teaching, but there's going to be free food. It's going to be a ton of fun. And I have been told that the group going will be the last group who goes through the corn maze at Strawberry Hill for the year, and they're doing it by flashlights. So should be exciting. You know, we'll see what happens. I think it'll be a good time. Um, that was mostly sarcastic, all right? Uh, and then the last thing, we have a family dinner tonight at five o'clock. So I wanna encourage you um, to come to dinner tonight. We're gonna have, I've never had this, but I've been uh, assured that it is great. We're gonna have uh, chicken tenders from Peach Blossom which I have been told is incredible. They apparently dip all the stuff in buttermilk and then fry it up. I don't know. That sounds good though. Um, so come bring a side or a dessert or a side and a dessert if you want to, but we'll be in here and it'll be a great time for us just to be together and spend the time together. One church um, for both of our services together tonight. All right, and then last thing, if um, you've made Peach Valley your church home and you wanna know how you give, there's two ways that you can give securely. You can give online at bsfbc.org slash give. Make sure you click Peach Valley on the drop down, or we have a deposit box in the back. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna continue on looking at the life of Abraham. If you were here last week, Jonathan brought the word. He did a phenomenal job teaching through Genesis 17. I saw the word circumcision and said, somebody else should preach that one. And Jonathan raised his hand. So it was great. No, I mean, it, was, it was good. A um, couple of things that we saw, a couple of the important pieces. One is that both Abraham and Sarah's names get changed. So Abraham goes from Abram to Abraham. Sarah goes from Sarai to Sarah, and the name change is significant because it means that God has changed their identity, all right? So we saw that happen, and then we finally get a specific promise saying, hey, about this time next year, I'm going to come and visit you, and you're going to have a son, okay? Which, let's just pause and acknowledge, okay? Promising a 90-year-old woman who is married to a 100-year-old man, that they're going to have a child is a bit of a stretch, right? And I think that there's something about us. Don't we enjoy when somebody says something that you're kind of like, yeah, right, prove it. I'll believe it when I see it, right? Like in middle school and high school, it was those sentences that ended up getting us in a lot of trouble, right? Prove it. Yeah, that didn't usually go super well on more than one account and reason, right? But there's something about us that kind of gets a thrill out of seeing somebody prove something we don't think is possible. And so I was thinking about one of those feats that I saw when I was in college, I went to a passion conference a few times. And if you don't know about passion conference, passion conference is a, col a college student conference that for the majority of time has happened in Atlanta. So you're talking about 50 to 60,000 high school students 
in the Georgia Dome worshiping Jesus. It's incredible. And I remember the first time I went, at lunchtime, that breakfast and dinner, you're on your own. But for lunch, they provided it. And I remember the, the, the kind of the host, the main speaker, Louis Giglio, gets up and he's like, hey guys, we've had a great morning. It's time for lunch. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna feed all of you and all of you are gonna have your food in your hands within the next 10 minutes. And I'm like, liar, <laughs> right? There's no way, right? And, and it was kind of a moment where they were gonna prove it. So they put, they, they give the instructions for how we're gonna get our food. And on the gigantic screens in the middle of the auditorium, they hit a timer. And they're like, 10 minutes, you're all gonna have, you're gonna be in your seats with your food. And let me tell you, it, it sounds like it was crazy. I don't know how they did this. Jason's Deli provided more box lunches than you've ever seen in your whole life. And they just had pallets of them at the concourses. And so row by row, you go up, get your box. And he wasn't lying. Within 10 minutes, we all had our food. We were sitting down and we were eating. Now, here's the thing. I don't know why I distrusted this guy who was making this promise. Because earlier that morning, I had literally had my Bible open, taking notes copiously as this guy was talking, right? He was somebody that I trusted, and yet he said, hey, you're going to have your food in 10 minutes. And there was something in me that doubted. But what I've come to learn is that the source should dictate the reliability of the promise, Right, So Louis was a trustworthy person as I was hearing him teach the Bible and taking notes. And so if somebody trustworthy makes a promise, we should trust them. Right? And the same thing is true for Abraham and Sarah. Right? Even though the promise seems ridiculous, the source of the promise, the promise maker, is God himself. And so as we get into today's passage, we're going to watch Sarah grapple with some of the same questions that we do. That how is something that's impossible for us possible for God. All right, so we're going to be in chapter 18. We're only going to take down the first half of it because after the first half, the story turns a corner and we'll get into all that next week. All right, so chapter 18, starting in verse one, it says this, the Lord appeared again to Abraham near the oak grove belonging to Mamre. One day, Abraham was sitting at the entrance to his tent during the hottest part of the day. He looked up and noticed three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran to meet them and welcomed them, bowing low to the ground. All right, so just understand what's happening here, right? This is a culture where they basically take a siesta, right? Hottest part of the day, they stop their working to rest, maybe nap. And so what I picture is Abraham, you know, he's at this point, like Abraham's kind of a big deal. He's wealthy. I imagine he's sitting on his front porch in the shade in his rocking chair, you know, he's just relaxing. Maybe he dozes off for a minute and then boom, these guys show up. And, you know, maybe the reason they just appear out of nowhere is maybe he did drift off. I don't know. But he wakes up and it seems like they come up out of nowhere. And it said, what he does is not what I would do, right? Like if I'm sitting on my front porch on my rocking chairs and my neighbors walk up, I'm not running and I'm not bowing down to the ground, right? But there's something that he, something in him that recognizes that something is different about these guys. And so he, he runs, he bows, and this is what he says in verse three. My Lord, he said, if it pleases you, stop here for a while. Rest in the shade of this tree while water is brought to wash your feet. And since you've honored your servant with this visit, let me prepare some food to refresh you before you continue on your journey. All right, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham ran back to the tent and said to Sarah, hurry, Get three large measures of your best flour, knead it into dough, and bake some bread. 
Then Abraham ran out to the herd and chose a tender calf and gave it to his servant who quickly prepared it. When the food was ready, Abraham took some yogurt and milk and the roasted meat and he served it to the men. As they ate, Abraham waited on them in the shade of the trees. Right, so Abraham, though he doesn't know who these guys are fully, there's something about him that causes him to treat them with respect, right? Abraham is an important guy, right? There's no reason that he would treat strangers with this much honor. Give them hospitality, yes, but there's something about them that makes him treat them with respect, right? He runs to meet them, right? Like, think about this. It's a very powerful, wealthy man, And not only should he have not been running to meet them because of his status, it's the hottest part of the day and he's 100 years old, right? Think about how significant these men must have been. And then it says he bows before them. And what's interesting is that that word bow can also be translated as worshiped if the object it's referring to is God. So he runs, he bows, and notice he addresses them with a higher rank. He says, my Lord. Now, some translations use a capital L, some use a lowercase L, right? There's a little bit of argument there, but here's what's clear. He calls himself a servant and refers to them as my Lord. He is coming under them, and then he urgently and personally prepares a meal, right? Like, I don't know, if, if I'm Abraham, I'm wealthy, I have all these people who work for me, I'm not doing this myself, I'm saying, hey, I need you to make, this, make these guys a meal. I'm not running around frantically trying to make a meal for somebody unless they're important. And the way that Abraham acts is sort of how I would expect us to act if like randomly and out of nowhere, somebody really significant, like the president or King Charles just like showed up at our house, right? Like if you weren't prepared and they showed up at your house, No matter what you thought, no matter how much it caught you off guard, you would be running around frantically trying to, you'd be, kids, go clean your room, right? We're trying to tidy everything up. Like this may have happened yesterday. Jonathan and Amanda may have stalked us and showed up at our house unannounced. And I was like, y'all can come inside. I don't know what it looks like. And you're kind of trying to like throw stuff back behind. And like, we were showing them around. And I was like, should we ask them to come upstairs? Like, I don't know. My underwear might not, might be on the floor. So, hey, you guys want to see downstairs? Right? Like, and here's what I would say. Jonathan's my boss. It's pretty significant when he shows up at my house on an ounce. I'm going to invite him in, right? I didn't offer him any water, even though they had rode their bikes there. That maybe should have done that. But, right, when somebody significant in your life shows up on an ounce, you, you, you fly into a mode to get things ready to serve them like they deserve. And that is what happens as Abraham has these men show up at his tent. And, and here's what I want us to recognize is that Abraham stops doing what he's doing. He allows himself to be interrupted, right? Think about this. If it's the hottest part of the day and it's the time when I'm supposed to be chilling, no, no. All, all my parents with young kids, like during nap time, right? Think, okay, you, okay, like I, I got like a little, a little nod and a smile from a couple of you. Like nap time is precious time. And if somebody's trying to interrupt that time, no, I've tried it. I try to interrupt Lauren during that time all the time when I'm home. It doesn't go well for me. And so Abraham is interruptible. And what we see from Abraham being interruptible, I think is a precursor to seeing how Jesus is interruptible. 
Think about how many times Jesus is going somewhere with a purpose and somebody who needs something from him stops him along the way and he heals them and helps him. And here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that this is an area where the people of Jesus don't look very much like Jesus. Right, because our lives are so chaotic that we're not actually interruptible. So let me ask you this question. Is your life interruptible? Is your life interruptible by God or by people or situations that he brings into your life? Let me, let me give you a couple examples of what I mean is your life interruptible. So let's say you, you consistently get up, say, 10 minutes earlier than you need to to spend time with God in the morning. What would happen if on one day you're reading, you're spending time with God, and he's just, he's just giving you new insight, he's trying to teach you something, he's challenged you in something, There are those mornings where you get into reading God's word and you're like, oh man, this is gonna be longer than 10 minutes. Here's my question. If God's asking for 20 minutes and you've only carved out 10, are you willing to give him that time gladly or are you rushing through it to get done? What about if God brings a person into your life? Right, somebody that you you can just tell the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart to help this person in some way and you know If I stop and help this person, I'm going to be late to the thing I'm going to next, right? Do you willingly and gladly step in to a person or situation God has put into your life, right? Because I'm afraid that if you're like me, you're you're rushing everywhere you go, right? You always feel late. You always feel, it always feels like the traffic on on Highway 9 is worse and worse And worse and worse, no matter what time of day it is, right? The line you're in is always the slowest line, even though you do the mental head math. You know what I'm saying? And what I'm afraid of is that we're easily distracted, but we're not easily interrupted, right? That things that ultimately don't matter are easy to distract us, right? I hate, I don't know why. Maybe this is, maybe this is, I don't know if, I don't know if everybody does this. My phone gives me my weekly screen time summary on Sunday mornings. It is the most infuriating world. Because I, I put my phone on do not disturb now, like after a certain time, but it would always happen like right during like worship and it would come through on my watch and it'd be like, your screen time's up and you spent two hours and 32 minutes on your phone each day. And I'm like, ah. I'm so distracted by things that don't matter. And I don't have margin for the things that God is bringing into my life. And so let me ask you a couple questions. Do you live with the awareness that God is often up to something beyond what you could imagine he's doing in the natural world? Right, because what we're gonna get clear on as the rest of this chapter and the next chapter plays out is that these three guys are the Lord, probably pre-incarnate Jesus, and two angels. Right, we know, we know that. So when these three guys show up, he has no idea the full magnitude of who these guys are. So it's far beyond what he expects. Do we live with the awareness that God is often doing more than we can see in our world? And as you interact with people, are you open to the possibility that God has a divine appointment for you to step into? Right, I want you to think about that person, right? We we all probably have a person in our lives that, you, you desperately want the opportunity to share some truth with. Maybe it's to share the gospel. Maybe it's to share a, a piece of truth they're not living in. 
Do you, do you interact with him believing and hoping that each interaction is a chance for God to break in and speak truth into their life? I don't know, if you're like me, there's like a, a early on in the relationship, like urgency and excitement, and then you like try a couple times and it doesn't go super well, and then you just begin to interact with them like God is not up to something. I'll give you a silly example of how this happened for me a couple weeks ago. So a couple weeks ago, um, Ben asked me to play in the Impact Sports golf tournament. Now, here's the thing. Someone asked me to play golf on a Monday, I'm, I'm going to say yes. Like, there's, no, there's no question of if I'm going to do it. So I'm like, yes, absolutely, I'll do whatever, you know. And so he's like, all right, you're going to be on a team with some other pastors who support our ministry. And I'm like, okay. So that means there's going to be three other guys that I probably don't know. And there's going to be one of them that I'm going to be sitting awkwardly close to in the cart for like five hours. So I'm like, I'm really excited about this. But if I'm honest, I'm also like, it's going to be so weird. And I'm not going to know this guy. And like, am I going to have to carry the conversation the whole time? Because it's a long time. It's a long time to carry on a conversation, right? I'm like, I'm going to go. It's going to be fun. And what's super cool is that um, as as the time plays out, what I recognize is each of those three guys that I got to play golf with, it was clear that God wanted me to have some sort of a relationship with them. One of those guys pastors a church two miles from here. Like, oh, it's good to, it's good to know him. Um, another guy had just planted a church a couple years ago in Greenville, and then they, they were set up teardown, and they merged with a Baptist church downtown Greenville because they had a building, and their church had begun to dwindle in size. I was like, oh, snap. Okay. Well, you're an important person for me to know. How did you, how did you navigate some? I'm asking, I'm asking questions. And then the guy I'm sitting beside is the, the discipleship pastor of one of the biggest churches in Spartanburg. And so all I did for like five hours, between hitting a couple shots that God was gracious to me for hitting, <laughs> and that is truth, okay, um, is that I just bugged these guys for like four or five hours just asking them questions. I'm like, hey, man, tell me about how y'all are reaching people in this area because you're close by and hey, you, you guys have done this merger thing and it's two congregations and two different generations. Like, talk to me about this. And then this other guy, I'm like, okay, so y'all have a really good serving culture and a really good groups culture. How do you do that? Like, I'm just asking question, question, question. And it was clear that though I was just going so that I didn't have to do work on a Monday afternoon, God had something far greater in mind. And my question is, is do you and I live with eyes up for opportunities for God to do that? Because if we are aware of the fact that God is doing more than we could ask or imagine, he will meet us. I mean, that's exactly what Caleb was saying this morning as we started our worship time. And so practically, I know that's all very ethereal, right? Like can't see different realms, all that kind of stuff. But practically, I think one way that God wants us to do this is through hospitality, right? Like that's the way we see it in the text is that Abraham is hospitable. And here's the thing right? Hospitality is a way bigger deal in the East, even now more than it is here. But especially back then, like this was a big deal. It was his responsibility culturally to do this, but he goes above and beyond. And one of the things we see as we continue to read the Bible, as we get into the New Testament, is that God is still concerned with his people being hospitable. God wants hospitality to be a marker of Christianity, One of the ways I know that's true is that in the qualifications of overseers and elders and pastors, 
One of the qualifications is that a pastor, elder, overseer is supposed to enjoy people in their, having people in their home or be hospitable. And here's the thing. The qualifications of an overseer are not specifically only for overseers. The goal is that the leaders of the church would set an example in the behavior that the whole church is supposed to follow in. That's why it's in the, the elders are supposed to set an example for what the whole body is supposed to do. And then, right, one of, one of the verses that people like to co-opt for themselves um, in the culture is that Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Jesus says, and they're like, hey, what are you talking about? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. And when Jesus is saying that in Matthew 25, he's talking about the final judgment. And he's saying the thing that's going to dis distinguish true believers from fake believers are those who care for those in need and exercise hospitality. It's supposed to be a marker of God's people. So is your life interruptible? Are you living with an openness, an open-handedness to whatever God may want to do in you or through you at a given moment, even when it's not convenient? Because Abraham is, we're going to get to see him connect personally and powerfully to receive promises. So look at what happens here in verse 9. It says, where is Sarah, your wife? The visitors ask. She's inside the tent, Abraham replied. Then one of them said, I will return to you about this time next year, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Sarah was listening to this conversation from the tent. All right, so... This is the first indicator we get that something is different about these guys, that these guys aren't normal humans because, right, chapter 17, God says, her name is Sarah, and about this time next year, she's going to have a son. So if in this encounter, somebody says the same thing, not much time could have passed. So how do these guys know Sarah's new name? They came from God. And the words that get used, that promise is basically word for word what God says in chapter 17. So it begs the question, why? He says it in chapter 17. Why does he make this whole, why do three guys show up? What's the big deal? Why? Well, I think the reason why he does this is for Sarah's benefit. Notice, where is Sarah? She's inside the tent. Right? If she can hear, it means that it's like, hey, can she hear? Yeah, like Sarah is within earshot. Right? The, re the repetition of the promise is for Sarah's benefit. This is God's kindness to her because she still does not believe the promise. So God says, I'm going to come. And notice this. Catch the significance. He comes down and sits down over a meal like a family would to make promises of the family to Sarah and Abraham, right? God is in, intensely personal in this moment because he knows that she still doubts, right? Look at, look at verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time and Sarah was long past the age of having children. So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Which, talk about some very negative self-talk. That's it right there especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. So to notice this, in terms of having children, she is doubly dead. 
She's been barren her whole life. And now she is past the age of physically being able to have kids, right? Two strikes against her. And yet God is promising to give her kids. Physically, she's like, there is no way that this can happen. And here's the importance for us is that Sarah is more focused on her limitations than God's promises. She is more focused on physical limitations than God's promises, right? She's, she's not thinking about the fact that God can be up to something beyond what she can be aware of. Just because we don't see a way forward given our physical earthly reality does not mean that God cannot break into our world and do more than we can ask or imagine. And what this means is that all Sarah's doing is looking out. She's not taking any time to look up. And I think what we can do is we can take our limitations and we accept them as true and final. We, we don't factor God in enough that he can change the landscape. And so what we do practically is practically we are applying our limitations to God. So let me ask you this question. Are you more focused on limitations or promises? Are you more focused on limitations or promises? Another way to think about this question is, am I looking out more than I'm looking up? And I, I spent some time this week and I texted a handful of you and just asked the question, hey, what are the, the limitations that you're focused on instead of the promises of God? And it was cool. I kind of sat back, made a document and just kind of tried to like figure out, okay, what, what are the things that I see in common? And what I found was that there's some different buckets of limitations that we focus on. We focus on physical limitations, emotional limitations, mental limitations, and spiritual limitations. Let me tell you one physical limitation that came up from everybody in some way, time. And here's the thing, that's a true one, okay? We are all limited by our time. So it was a little bit of, hey, I don't have time to focus on this, pursue this, do this, believe this, because I don't have time. And a lot of that could get attached to the stage of life that we're in, right? So whether that's a single person thinking, well, that doesn't apply to me until I'm married, whether that's a teenager saying like, yeah, 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 but all this serious stuff, that's for the adults, right? That could be an older person who's retired or close to retiring say, hey, all this energy, all this excitement, all this passion, and that's for younger people. Right, that's, that's for those of us who have young kids who are saying, I just literally don't have the bandwidth because I don't have the mental space anymore to do this. And here's the thing, that is a physical reality, but just because it is a limitation for us does not mean it's a limitation for God. Right, one of the other things I saw is a mental limitation where a couple different people in different ways had something of a I'm not blank enough. And the belief was, is that if I'm not smart enough, talented enough, hardworking enough, or good enough, then ultimately God will not bless me or give me the promises he's made to me. And I think what happens is that mental limitation is actually a spiritual limitation because it's a misunderstanding. It's believing that if we aren't perfect, that God is not going to fulfill his promises to us. Right, that if I don't get what I'm doing right now perfectly right, God can't bless anything else I'm doing in the future. And here's the thing. The reason that this doesn't work is that that means the promise is all based on us. And if it's all based on us, it's all going to fall apart. 
Right, so one of the ways I saw this was if I'm not working hard enough, then God won't uphold his promise to provide for me and my family. Or if I don't get leading my wife perfectly in this season, that I'm gonna forfeit the blessings and promises he has for our life and our marriage moving forward. And in all of these, we focus on the limitation and not the promise. Right, and that's what Sarah does. She's focused on limitations. She laughs, and her laugh is an expression of unbelief. So look at how this passage ends. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Let's acknowledge. That's a good question. And there's a way to ask this question that isn't going to get the rebuke that comes. But when you express the question filled with unbelief, God has no, he has nothing else he can do but correct us because he wants his people to be full of faith. So look at what God says in verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he says, he, look at this. God is so kind, he repeats it again. I will, repeat, I will return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it saying, I didn't laugh, but the Lord said, no, you did laugh, right? It's so funny. I just, I, just, I just can't imagine seeing this exchange. Here's what's interesting. Here's what we see in these verses is what God is doing is God is showing that everything is possible for him because he is showing Sarah and Abraham that things that limit us don't limit him. So it says that Sarah laughs to herself, meaning it's all in her head. And God says, hey, Sarah laughed. If you're Sarah, you're like, oh, I didn't do that out loud. Right, this is that moment of, did I say that out loud? Right, no, she didn't say it out loud. And what God is saying is, hey, something that would limit you. Like, I don't know your thoughts, but guess what God does? He's saying, if I'm not limited like you're limited, then that's true in all aspects. Nothing is too hard for me. Nothing is impossible for me. So here's a question. Is there something that you think is too hard or impossible for God? Is there something that you think that is impossible for God? And as I was thinking about that question, I was thinking about a friend of mine named Chris. Chris is a traveling evangelist, and he's an incredibly powerful and gifted communicator. But if you heard him tell his story, there'd be a huge portion of it where you'd say, there's no way that God could use that guy to preach the gospel and have people come to faith in him. Because in his own words, he said that he grew up with a severe stutter and an unquenchable emptiness. And so to fill the void, he turned to drugs. Specifically, as a teenager, he turned to heroin. Was addicted to heroin and to basically to numb his pain. Eventually, right, his whole, his life's falling apart. His body has like withered away. Again, like as a teenager, he checks himself in to rehab. And at the end of that week, he gets released from rehab and he just goes to the church down the street. And at church, he hears the gospel, he receives Jesus and his life changes that day. And here's what's crazy. Not long after that, he, he starts to feel this, this, this sense, this calling from God that he's going to preach the gospel and help other people come to know Jesus. But here's the problem. He still had a stutter. I've heard him tell his story. He's like, I still could not order food at a restaurant. And God was telling me that I was going to preach the gospel. It's impossible. It's nonsense. 
And what Chris kept doing was taking the steps God put in front of him and God began to heal his voice, heal his speech. And I've been in the room and I've seen Chris share the gospel powerfully and people come to know Christ because of how God uses him. I'm telling you, it would seem impossible. And this is Chris's words. He says, Jesus uses weak people to do wild things because God gets all the glory. And so the same God that's at work at Sarah and Abraham is the same God who's working in Chris's life and in ours life. So again, what limitations are you focused on instead of God's promises? And I acknowledge for a lot of us, we are not going to have a story that's as extreme as Chris's. But that doesn't mean that God's plans for us or promises to us are any less significant. And I think it's important that we, we don't miss the reason that Sarah got rebuked is because her attitude toward God's promises were, yeah, right. That's not possible. So are there any promises from God that you have a yeah, right attitude about? And here's why it's important for us to ask that question is because if you're a Christian, then God has already done the impossible in your life, right? If, if we're saying that we are dead people who have come back to life, then what is it that we think is impossible for him now? If he didn't spare his own son for us, how would he now withhold anything else from us, right? And so if God can raise people from the dead physically and spiritually, then I guess he can Make a baby come from two really old people who are alive. Nothing is too hard for God. With God, nothing is impossible. So with those truths guiding us, let me ask these questions. Is your life interruptible? Do you live open-handed to what God may want to do in you or through you? Because it's more than we can ask for or imagine. And are you focused on earthly, physical realities that are limitations or are you focused on the promises of God and the God who makes those promises? And here's what I would encourage you. I think one of the things that I also heard was that many people would say, Zach, I, I, I'm not actually clear on the promises that God has made to me that are still true for me. And so here's what I would encourage you to do. There's plenty of places I could point you, but to point you in the most succinct way, instead of just saying, hey, go read the Bible, it's not helpful to you in this moment, is what I'm gonna encourage you to do. Go to gotquestions.org, gotquestions.org, and type in promises and read the first three articles. And in there, you'll notice there are resources that if you wanna know more, they always reference books and things that they pull stuff from. If you wanna know God's promises for you and which ones apply to you now, I'd encourage you to do that this week.